Thanks very much, um, Bruce, and a very good morning from, from me as well, and, and a, um, a, a small but busy and productive team um, here at Nyora Road. Um, just like with the old gatherings, there was um, people who would arrive early and set up various equipment, and then um, in the hidden little little part of the the auditorium and the bio box they would service. Uh, likewise, they're not in the bio box, but likewise, we've got a couple of couple of folk here who are um, just making all of this possible. And I'm really, really thankful for their service and for the band too. Thank you so much for uh, blessing us with those songs. Thanks, Bruce, um, for that. Uh, Bible reading, it is just a few verses, and I was going to start off by reading it again, but I, I, you've done such a great job there, I, I really don't, don't need to. It's, um, when you hear though, and, and you're probably familiar with those verses, when you hear those verses, it's, it's probably very easy to think, oh, how naturally that came to Paul. Or perhaps even that Paul says it in passing, flippantly, or perhaps does he, is he just one of those, those eternal optimists who goes through life um, a little bit with his head in the sand, not realizing just how challenging life can actually be? And by way of context, I, I, I thought I'd just remind us all of, of the journey that Paul had been on. Since he'd received that, that vision from the man from Macedonia, he'd been to Philippi, and in Philippi, he'd been falsely arrested, he'd been stripped, beaten and jailed. Then he moved on to Thessalonica, Thessalonica where he'd been falsely accused and, and threatened and, and, and chased out of town. In fact, he went to Berea and he was chased out of Berea as well. Down in Athens, he was mocked and he was judged um, at, a, at a court um, there. And, and then he moves on to Corinth, where again, he was opposed and again, he was abused. And again, he was judged by, by the local community and, and in particular, the Jews. And so, you know, Paul's life was filled with its, its share of hardships. And my, my thoughts on this is that, that for Paul, this was a discipline, but it was a discipline that he practiced on a regular basis. Um, when I uh, was preparing for um, my wedding day, a very, very special day that I, that I still remember, uh, I recall getting a, a suit, the likes of which I'd never seen before. I'd, I'd never been so dressed up. But back in those days, and this dates me a little bit, um, it was fashionable to wear a cummerbund and a bow tie. And I remember looking at all of this, and you know, there it was beautifully um, um, ready for me to put on on my wedding day. And, and I looked at it, and I thought, how does all this work? You know, how, how do you... How do you tie up a cummerbund at the back? And, and uh, how am I going to get the bow tie on and, and, and so forth? How am I going to suit up? Back in chapter 5, verse 8, Paul reminded um, the Thessalonians to protect their hearts by putting on a breastplate of faith and love, to protect their heads, their thinking, by putting on a helmet of the hope of salvation. To the Christian, Paul says, there is this armour, there is this suit that you can put on. But we might be left with the question, good, good, but how do you put it on? How does that actually work? How do I, how do I put on a breastplate of faith and love? How do I, how do I put on this, this helmet of the hope of, of salvation? And I would say these three verses here give us a clue how to suit up. This is how to put on that breastplate, how to put on that helmet. How it actually works and the first the first tip is to rejoice always 
Literally, it means to, to, be, to be glad, to possess a deep sense of inner joy. Its antonym would probably be mourning. That is to say the opposite of rejoicing would be to mourn or to, to grieve. And Paul isn't saying here to dismiss life's griefs and losses. No, own up to them. Admit where we have suffered a loss or a grief. But he is saying that even in the midst of that, you can rejoice. It is possible for the Christian to rejoice. In fact, previously he's, he has said that we do not grieve like those who are without hope. And so Paul is saying in the midst of your grief and in the midst of your losses, it is possible for us to, to experience joy, to, to actually rejoice. On this, um, Leon Morris, Morris says this. Listen to this quote. The Christian is one who has been born all over again. He has been created anew. He does not see things as the earthling sees them, but as a child of the heavenly father who goes rejoicing through his father's world. Listen to those last words again. For the Christian, because we've been born again, we, we, have been, we have this new life. As a child of the heavenly father, we go rejoicing through our father's world. I don't think anyone has, has perhaps quite modelled that for us, like Christ Jesus himself, who definitely knew he was a child of the Father. And, and how apt that we were just singing that very song. Um, our Heavenly Father is a good, good Father, and you are loved. That's who you are. You are a loved child of God. And that should change the way that we go throughout this world. Yes, with its trials and challenges, its difficulties and, and, and sufferings. We will experience grief. We'll experience losses along the way. But nonetheless, as a, as a child loved by a Heavenly Father, it is possible for us to rejoice and to go through life um, with, with that hope and to, to go through our Father's world rejoicing. Does that sound very realistic? Does it sound possible? Does that, does that possibility sound out of reach for you? We could read this verse and see here is a list of three different items which Paul is saying, um, this is how you suit up. Rejoice always, give th- uh, sorry, pray uh, without ceasing and, and give thanks. Or we could see them we could see these three, three things sequentially. They, they build on each other. Um, how do we rejoice always? Well, move to the next point. Pray without ceasing. Pray always. One version says pray incessantly. Um, this is an interesting, interesting challenge, isn't it? If you've read these words before, you've probably thought, I like that idea. I just don't quite know how to put it into practice. How do I pray without ceasing? Paul often models this, even when you read his letters. They're often interspersed with a prayer, as, as if I think he writes like he probably taught. I think he will be, he'll be you know, perhaps teaching, and then he breaks into prayer. He's teaching again, and, and some of it is praise, and sometimes it's petition. I think Paul models, models this beautifully for us. But it is helpful to realise that prayer is not just petition. That is, that is coming to God with a shopping list of requests and so forth. By all means, share those things with your Heavenly Father. But it's more than that. Uh, prayer is, is actually fellowship with God. 
it's realizing his presence. I was, I was taught as a as a um, young Christian to have a, a daily quiet time or a devotional, and I'm glad that I was. But it did leave me quite unintentionally with a a, a bit of a skewed understanding of the Christian life. I, I saw it a little bit like um, uh, driving a car. I was the driver. I was in the driver's seat. I would pull into a petrol station and I would fill up my tank early in the morning with enough fuel for the day and then off I would go. A little bit limited by how many kilometres I could do on that one tank, but uh, I would arrive back at the end of the day empty and then I'd start again, pretty much out there in the driver's seat by myself. Um, I think life is a little bit more like trams. We're, we're used to trams in Melbourne, aren't we? We love our trams. Um, if you can cast your mind back to the very old ones, those old, old green trams, those rattly old things, um, they, an experience of, of a tram ride means that you're not in the driver's seat, you're the passenger. And the whole thing functions not by a fuel of tank, but by a, a constant connection to the source of power above. Um, in fact, if you um, have ever been on a ride on one of those, those older trams, you know that sometimes they can lose their connection. And suddenly the, the tram would stop, the power would go off, and the conductor would usually jump off the tram, go around to the back or the front, as the case might be, where they'd lost connection, and, and with a little bit of a hook and a pole, it would reconnect the tram, it would come alive again, and, and, and off we go. I think the Christian life is a little bit more like a, like a tram ride. We're not the driver that we think we are. And it only works when we have a constant connection. This is at the core of abiding. This is at the core of remaining in Jesus and Jesus remaining in us. Um, apart from me, when we're disconnected from him, we can do nothing. Our life is powerless. It really is. We, the lights go off. It feels like there is no hope. And, and so we need this constant connection with with God we need to abide in him that's that's where the power for rejoicing comes in now remember we were looking at this as a sequence so how do we rejoice well through through constant prayer incessant prayer you might even say and and what might that prayer involve well thanksgiving give thanks always give thanks in in all manner of situ situations and by this we we mean that, that level of gratitude. I, I think thanksgiving is, is, is like an express gate into praise and worship. Nothing brings you uh, more quickly into the presence of God, into a posture of praise and worship than thanksgiving. It's like an express gate into that. I think I've shared before a practice that Bronwyn and I have when we're, we're feeling a little blue or down or, or like the sky might be falling in and we'll, we'll often say, give me 10. And that sounds cruel for a husband to say to his wife as if it's 10 push-ups or something. But she might say it to me too, all right, Stu, I think you, I think you need to give me 10. And, and what we're talking about when we, when we say that is 10 things to be thankful for. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we need a bit of a primer. And so I might start brought off with a with a couple and then she chips in or if it's if it's me who's feeling a little blue she'll prime me she'll start me off with a couple two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine and leave me with the tenth but but we do that for one and for one another and and i think that's what as brothers and sisters in christ we can do for each other as well too sometimes sometimes we need to prompt each other to to give thanks and to 
to help each other on that. What, what, what that does, Thanksgiving, is it repositions us in truth. Um, and what I would say that is, is that would be my description of character. Character is being positioned in truth. If you were a person of strong character or a person of character, you are a person who is well positioned in truth. And character always brings hope, doesn't it? Character always leads us to hope. Thanksgiving helps reposition us in truth. Remember before I said uh, to the antonym of rejoice is mourning. It's, it's grief or loss. Here's a real danger in the Christian life. It is to get stuck in mourning. It is to get stuck in a state of grief or loss. Yes, in this life you will have trouble, Jesus said. But he also said, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world. We can sometimes get stuck in that, that first, first part. Here's a, a question that it's good for us to, to think about. Think about a grief or a loss that you have suffered. What loss have you experienced that can defy the power of the resurrection? What loss have you discovered or experienced in this life that defies the power of the resurrection? As Christians, sometimes we, we don't read the Gospels through to the end. We get stuck with the disciples, with the crucified Christ. We're, we're on the road to, to Emmaus and we haven't yet met Jesus. We're on the way to the tomb and we haven't discovered that it's empty. Um, we're a little bit sometimes like... Like, like Peter, we're, we're, we're stuck with Peter on a boat, oblivious to the risen Christ who strolls the shores, longing for our fellowship. We, we worship the risen and ascended Christ who has resurrection power. And we need to anticipate his return and, and remind ourselves of, of what that means. I'm so thankful for the gift of Revelation. Um, let me just remind you with a few verses from Revelation chapter 21 of, of what that resurrection power means for you and, and, and for I. In verse 1, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Verse 3. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything new. That's what resurrection power does. It takes something that looks like it's, it's dead. That it has no life and no possibility and no hope. And then it brings it to life again. And Jesus promises to do that for you and for me. That's our hope. That's the great hope that we hold on to. Um, a couple of years ago, a truck backed into our, our front gate, and it happened to be a gate that had a, 
a name on it, which was pretty meaningless to us, to be quite honest. But the insurance company covered a new gate, and, and with that came the possibility of putting a new word on it. As we were going, driving around Australia, we pondered, what, what would we want on the gate? And we thought, I don't think we particularly want our name, you know, Hunt or something. But a word, a word came to mind. It's a beautiful word. In the Hebrew, it's, it's harasah. And it means a new thing. Whenever in the Old Testament, God says, behold, I am about to do a new thing. That's, that's the word. That's the word. In Revelation 21, we just read um, that I am doing a new thing. With resurrection power comes the possibility of a new thing. And I wonder, as you, as you think about some of the griefs and the losses that you have experienced, what is that harasah, that new thing that you would like God to do in your situation? How would you like him to take something that looks dead and lifeless, yes, even hopeless, how would you like him to take that and breathe new life into it, to bring his resurrection power to bear upon that? Because of all the things that we might give thanks for, the gospel is at the core of it. And at the core of the gospel is the fact that Jesus has conquered all things and he is doing a new thing. That he has taken us from death and destruction and given us salvation, a new life. And that is eternal life. He has raised us up. And he will continue to raise us up, to be with him on that last day and forevermore. That's the new thing that the gospel promises. And so whatever your grief or your loss might, might be, Paul is saying here, rejoice. Acknowledge the grief, acknowledge the loss, but rejoice. Rejoice always. But pray without ceasing and give thanks to God. That whatever it is that you are facing, he can do a new thing. He brings all of his resurrection power to bear on your new thing. And then he finishes off by saying, you know what? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, it's his will for you to experience a new thing. Give thanks. Give thanks to God for the new thing that he wants to do for you, that he can do for you, that his resurrection power will do for you. I wonder now if you would like to, to practice that, just to be really, really practical. Maybe even in the chat um, that, that you have available to you, you've got a little keyboard there, maybe you'd like to even put into the chat something that you're thankful for today. And maybe as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can build one another up in this way. Um, give thanks to God. Why don't we give each other 10 or more, 20 or 30? Why don't we give each other reason to be, to be, thanks, uh, to be thankful for today? Uh, let's, let's help to build one another up and to help each other rejoice. Yes, even in the midst of, of sorrow and loss, but to, to rejoice through um, a life of ceaseless prayer and abiding in him through thanksgiving. And, and thanks in particular for the new thing that God has promised you. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I, I give you thanks. 
the technology that enables us to be able to continue to meet together, albeit virtually. I give you thanks for this, for this new day. I give you thanks for the sunshine outside. I also give you thanks for the rain that we've had in the previous week. And I give you thanks for spring and the promise of something new. I give you thanks for the people of God and the family of God. And I, I give you thanks for your word, which Bruce mentioned before, and your truth. I, think, I give you thanks for repositioning us in truth. I give you thanks that we can live honestly and authentically before you. We can bring you our griefs and our losses. And I give you thanks that, that you listen and you hear and you understand. But I give you thanks too that you don't want to leave us out in the boat, but you want to walk with us on the, on the shore. I give you thanks for your resurrection power. And I give you thanks that whatever situation or circumstance we are facing today, I give you thanks that in Christ... It is your will for us to experience a new thing. You won't leave us there. Thank you. God bless you. And we've got an awesome song to, to just help lead you in continual thanksgiving. Yeah, thanks, Ben.